Revelation chapter 22. This morning, with God's help, we will be considering verse uh, 16, the very end of verse 16. Give now your attention to the reading of the word of the Lord, for his word is indeed faithful and true. Hear now the word of the Lord. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider the beautiful mystery of the incarnation of the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Word who assumed our flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, give us minds that understand or at least uh, rejoice. Give us hearts that believe. Lord, give us hands and feet that live in life of the beautiful mystery that we will consider in our worship this morning. I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Christ, let me pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, good morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, uh, welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our worship through the Apocalypse of John. Last week, we considered the declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is both the root or cause of David, according to his divinity, and that he is the true descendant of David, according to his humanity. The union of the two natures in the one person of Christ is what theologians call the hypostatic union. In the one person of Christ, God has perfectly united the divine nature and human nature. And this union, says the Chalcedonian Creed, is without confusion, mixture, separation, or division, each nature retaining its own attributes. Again, in a more condensed manner, the hypostatic union is the one person of Christ who has two natures, perfectly divine and perfectly human. Our Lord declared that as God, he's the very reason for the existence of David. And as very man, he is Truly the descendant of David, the Messiah. I bring this, uh, I think this does then bring us to the question that with God's help will be the focus of our worship this morning. The question is simply this. Why did God become man? The question for our, our consideration of worship this morning is why did God become man? Or we might ask it another way. What is the reason for the incarnation? Both titles will suffice. Why did God become man? Or what is the reason for the incarnation? Why did the divine trinity, or what did the divine trinity um, will to accomplish 
through the word assuming our flesh, the word being the second member of the Trinity, God, the Son, what did the Holy Trinity will to accomplish in the word becoming flesh? Uh, I, your elders think it is fitting to consider this question at this time of year, but it's also fitting to consider this question any time of the year. But especially now in the celebration of the advent of Christ, what is the reason for the incarnation? As we walk forward in our time of worship this morning, let me also say, this is by no means an exhaustive consideration of this, and I'm going to say this a few times, of this beautiful mystery. Uh, the reasons that we will consider this morning uh, will never, ever reach the heights of the beauty of why God became man. But God, give us grace to walk forward. You've heard the question or have asked the question yourselves before. What did Christ do for you? You've heard that before. You may have even asked that before. What did Christ do for you? You, you may ask your children sometimes in trying to catechize them to see where they are and what they know. What did Christ do for you? The answer from most Christians will be this. He died for me. The answer for most will be he died for me. This is, of course, wonderfully true. Jesus Christ did die for those whom he loved. Yes. What did Christ do for you? Another smaller, maybe percentage of Christians might say true Christians, I might add. He lived for me and he died for me. Again, wonderfully true. We confess that Christ did, in fact, live and he died. What did Christ do for you? Uh, maybe even a smaller percentage of true believers might say, God became man, lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose from the dead, ascended into glory, and has promised that he will return in that same glory. But dear ones, that is wonderfully true, isn't it? Uh, that smaller group of believers, I think, began at the most appropriate place, and that is with the glorious truth of this, that God became man. The glorious truth of the work of Christ, of his glorious gospel, begins with the incarnation of the word. John 1, in the beginning, was the word. The word was with God, the word was God, and as we all know, and the word became flesh, John 1.14. John begins his gospel with this beautiful mystery of the incarnation. Uh, the other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, they begin with the birth of Christ. They begin with the incarnation. Uh, Mark begins in the beginning of the gospel of Christ. And then somewhat leads into the incarnation. The gospel begins, the glorious good news begins with the incarnation of the word who assumed our flesh. Without the incarnation, dear ones. There would be no perfect life of obedience. Without the incarnation, there would be no loving gift of sacrifice on the cross. Without the incarnation, there would be no resurrection, no ascension, and no promised glory without the incarnation. The incarnation, God becoming man, 
must be a truth that we ask God to begin to, to teach our tongues to proclaim, for without it, all of the wonderful works of Christ would not be possible. The work of Christ begins with, and is not excluded from, the Incarnation. What is the purpose of the Incarnation? And that's, that's the question we're asking, isn't it? Why did God become man? You might remember that question that I, I asked this question last year in a sermon similar, not the same sermon, concerning the Incarnation. One of the reasons I'm going to at least um, put forth this morning is found, one of the reasons for the Incarnation I'm going to put forth this morning is found in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. God became man so that his light would dispel the darkness. I, I didn't say the, but one of the beautiful reasons why God became man was so that the bright morning star might chase away the night. Remove darkness. He is, after all, he, he proclaimed, Revelation twenty two sixteen the bright morning star. The Lord Jesus declares that he is God and man, listen to this, the star that dispels the darkness. The bright morning star, what is it? Well, it's not starlight, star bright, the first star I see tonight, I wish I may, I wish I might, you know that Pinocchio, that was my first movie I've ever seen. The bright morning star is the sun. For the sun is a star, it is the sun that breaks the time of night, marking the dawning of a new day. When you see the light of the sun begin to break over the horizon, you now know night is no more. Uh, post Tenebrox Lux, after darkness, light, and Christ confesses, Christ proclaims that he is in fact that light. Christ declares that he is the first light that breaks through the darkness, signaling that a new day has begun. The purpose of the incarnation was, one of the reasons was, so that light might be shown upon all of creation. That creation, but most specifically, creatures made in God's image, might no longer walk in darkness. And saints of God... The darkness, the darkness of sin through disobedience is precisely where you and I used to be. The darkness of sin, the enslavement of sin is precisely where, where humanity is and for us was. That's where we used to be. The darkness of sin, the enslavement of sin. John 1.5 the light, Christ, shines in the darkness, but darkness could not comprehend it. They could not, they could not grasp what they were beholding. Doesn't darkness and enslavement summarize perfectly our previous condition? Our minds were darkened to the truth of God. We did not know His person. We did not know him as father, as son, and as spirit. We did not know that these three were not three, but they were one who are three. Our hearts were darkened. 
Our hearts were darkened to the reason why the triune God created us. And because of this, listen to this, self-imposed ignorance. We did this to ourselves. We had a polluted view of God and a polluted view of ourselves. We abused ourselves. Romans 1, even, even though we knew God. Because of our warped view of Him, we did not honor Him. And then we also, we did not honor Him, but dishonored Him. And we also did not honor ourselves, but dishonored ourselves, shamefully giving ourselves to things that we should not give ourselves to. It was through the futility of our minds that we concluded that disobedience to God, that refusing to honor Him as we ought, was the way to attain that which we were created for. We sought to to get what we were created for through dishonoring God and ourselves. Which begs the question, what were we created for? We were created for God. Um, all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, all mankind were created for God, to honor Him, to find joy and happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment in Him. Saints of God, we all want happiness. We all want joy. All of us do. We all want satisfaction, peace, fulfillment, and love. But sin has warped our view of how to attain it. We know it's what we want. How to get it, though, has been warped because of our sin and dishonoring of God. Sin has produced this darkness. Sin has produced this enslavement or this death in us. We, humanity, we're the culprits of our own demise. We failed to give to God what is owed to Him. Listen to that. What is owed to Him? We failed to give to God what is owed to Him. What do we mean, what is owed to Him? Well, He is our Creator. We are therefore indebted to Him. I'm going to use this word debt a lot through this sermon. Uh, Bazo, you, you never heard of this, maybe you have. Bazo asked Anselm. What is owed to God? Anselm responds to subject every wish to his will. To subject every wish to his will. It's on the heels of God made you. You owe him. Bo Bozo, I almost want to say Bozo, but Bozo asks, well, what is owed to God? Anselm says every wish of your will. Which means what? Everything. Not, not just everything. Absolutely everything. Why? Children, why should you glorify God? Because he made me, they know, and takes care of me. Why should you honor God? Honor his glory. Because he made you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. You know these verses, don't you? And then God said, Let there be light. 
and there was light. Why do we owe all things to God? Because he made us. Watch this. God creating all things, calling light to dispel the darkness over the world, calling form to that which was formless, calling substance to that which was void is an unveiling of God's goodness. Why did God create? He did not have to create. Not because he was lonely. We're getting to what, 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 what do we owe God and why do we owe him? Not because he was lonely. God sh- says, let there be, and then chases away all darkness, all that is void, all that is formless. Why did God create? Not because he needed a friend. Not even because he des- is, is, is desperately in need of people worshiping him. As some atheists may claim. No. God is not in need of anything. I hope not to burst your your bubble this morning, but God is not even in need of you. God is especially not in need of me. He doesn't need us. Because he doesn't need anything. God exists in perfect happiness. God is perfectly satisfied in himself. He has perfect peace because he is in fact perfect peace. Nothing gives to God to make him what he is not and nothing takes from God to make him less than what he is. He is all that he is. So then if God is not in need of anything, if we can't add anything to God and take away anything from God, then why did God create? You will remember this quote from Thomas Aquinas. It belongs to the essence of goodness to communicate itself to others. Why did God create? Because God is good. But let's take a step forward. And God is so good, watch this, that he doesn't keep his goodness to himself. He shares it with every. Thing that he creates. God is the very essence of goodness. He is one with his essence. God is absolutely good with no lack. Um, We can be good from time to time, but we are not in fact goodness itself. We, We are periodically good to one another, periodically good to our loved ones in our own homes, but we are not in fact goodness itself. We sometimes keep goodness to ourselves, don't we? We withhold things that are good from, from others. Things that we should give to others, we don't give to them because we are not, in fact, goodness itself. But God is goodness itself. God is the very essence of goodness. He is goodness. He is goodness and goodness is God. God is so good that he does not keep his goodness to himself. Rather, he shares his goodness through creation for creation. Like when you eat good food somewhere. Do you ever eat good food somewhere and never tell no one? I don't want to tell anybody because if I tell someone, then the next time I go, there's going to be a long line of people. And then now my secret spot is no longer a secret. Right? When you eat good food, you want 
You want to share the goodness of that good food with others. Go here. It's the best. And then you fill in the blank, right? You are sharing goodness. You're not keeping it to yourself. When uh, a man or woman is about to be married, what do they do? They send out an announcement. We're getting married. Save the date. They're not keeping goodness to themselves. They are sharing it with others. Because it is good to share goodness that you have with others. Well, God is absolutely good. And because He is so, He shares that goodness through creation. In creation, God communicates His absolute goodness. He is communicating to us just in fact how good He is. Um, on YouTube, I, 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 to, so that I can take a nap, there are, are, are videos that I like to watch. Most specifically, there are videos of other countries that are showing the most beautiful parts of the country. And, and they are often without sound. They just have like a soft melody. And I'm looking at the, the greens of, of Ireland or the, the, the beautiful places in France that I would like to go to one day. God is showing me through all of those things just how wonderful he is and that he did not keep my eyes from seeing those wonderful things. But what is more, God shares his goodness by calling things that were not into existence by his very word. But most specifically, you and me. The mountains and the waterfalls and the the great heights that I see whenever I'm watching those videos, they pale in comparison. Watch this. They pale in comparison. They don't even come close to you. Now, I know people are not walking by you every day and going, Oh, wow, look at you. Magnificent. But the fact is, God does. We might not. We are more impressed with mountains and waterfalls, but God is most, most impressed with his handiwork of making you. We have not been made for ourselves. We have been made for God. He made us. He shaped and fashioned us. It was God who formed us. Listen to this. By a substance that is a nuisance to us. God shaped and fashioned us, formed us. By a substance that we call a nuisance. Dust. We are made from the dust of the ground. The thing that we are constantly trying to wipe away is the thing that God shaped and fashioned us by. And then gave dignity to that dust by breathing into it the breath of life. A reasonable soul. We, above all things in all of creation, have the unique privilege of being made in the image of God. He has breathed into us his soul, a reasonable soul. Dear ones, we could have been made a plant. You and I could have been a beastly animal. You could be, uh, you could have been a goat. A billy goat climbing on the side of those mountains, uh, licking salt off of the mountains. Well, that's also one of the things I see in the videos. You could have been a fowl of the sky. But God graced us with his goodness 
communicating his goodness to us by giving us the gift of being made in his image. Dear humans, let's say it this way, just in case you're not a believer and a saint, do not take for granted that we have been chosen by God to share in his image. It's a wonderful gift. A wonderful, watch this, gift of goodness. Therefore, we are in fact indebted to him. Let's get back to the debt. We owe God. What do exactly we owe him? And so, every wish of his will. Which simply means absolutely everything, every thought, every action, every desire, every pursuit, every word, everything is owed to God without remainder. Speaking of debt, without remainder. Everything that we do is to be done in some way, shape or form to give honor and glory to God for his creating us in his image. Anselm would have learned this wise answer from Holy Scripture, the Apostle Paul, who said, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, I love that. Paul says, everything you do, whether it's eating or drink, anything you do, whatever you are doing, do all things for the glory or do all things for the honor of God. Whatever you do. And Colossians 3.17, Pastor Isaiah got done preaching this. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, whatever you say and whatever you do, do it all. Paul says, do it all. Not some of it. Not just when you're in church. Do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And then, how do you do this? Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. All that you do, whether you eat or drink, whether in word or deed, do all that you do for the honor and glory of God. Why? Because you owe him. Because he made you. God does not need anything from us. It's the other way around. We need everything from him. This all-encompassing dependence means that what we think, what we do, what we are, all of it is is to be... In some shape or form, done to the glory and honor of God. He's speaking about our human lives, that they're to be lived in such a way that the whole of ourselves is to be in some shape or form given to God. But man, through disobedience of sin, has failed to give God what is due to God. Man has failed to give God what he alone is worthy of, which is this, honor. God is worthy of honor. Instead, man sought to rob God of God's honor, reaching out to take that which does not rightfully belong to man, again, honor. Through this attempted robbery, through this failure to give God what is owed to him, man incurred a debt. Through man's failed attempt, I say that again, man's failed attempt to rob God. He actually robbed himself of being elevated to something greater than what he was initially created. Than how he was initially created. Does that make sense? He robbed robbed himself of being elevated to something greater. That he was not initially when he was created, but was created for. 
All men, Paul says in Romans, have fallen short of something they were created for. Glory. All men have fallen short of that which we were created for. Namely, glory that is found in, in the beatific vision of God. Perfect happiness found in God. Glory is when you see God. Glory is when you are seeing God and satisfied in God alone. That's what you've been made for. But because we tried to find that another way, we have failed and fallen short of that which we were created for. Therefore, Anselm says, we are left with a debt of honor. And a crime against the infinitely holy God cries out for punishment to uphold justice. What's the punishment of our crime? We committed a crime. What's the punishment? The scriptures say, Romans 6.23, the wages. The wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. We committed a crime. We owe a debt of honor. A debt we cannot pay, which I'll get to in a moment. And the result is death. The punishment of sin is death. And this upholds justice. The holy justice of God. But there is a problem there. This upholding of justice through the punishment of sin, death. It fails to bring man to his intended end. God made man for a reason. Not to just destroy us all. And God will not fail to accomplish all of his holy will. God made man so that man would be elevated to see him, know him, and be eternally satisfied in him. If man is completely wiped off the face of the earth, which God could have done in the days of Noah, but, but preserve, preserved a man so that man could be elevated. But God did not wipe man from the face of the earth. If he did, there would be no hope. Punishment of death leaves no hope for man. What, what will man do? God has not wiped man off of the earth, so there is still a purpose in man's existence. But man owes a debt. How is it going to get paid? Man who is uniquely made in the image of God is lost to the wages of sin. He can't save himself. Even the best of men, the ones that we would look at as our best examples, they are still men. Even the ones that we admire the most, go home with them. And you might see some things you don't admire very much. Even the best of men, watch them talk to their wives sometimes. I'm guilty of this. And you will say, well, that's not very a very great example. Watch them talk to the watch them talk to their children sometimes. That's not the best. Even the best of men are still men. Incapable of restoring not only themselves, but the whole of humanity. Even the best of men can't save themselves, let alone the whole world. So then what is man to do in such an impossible predicament? How can we pay this debt of honor? What resources can we use? We have no reserve. 
There's, there's nothing hiding in our pockets. You know, when you pull stuff out of the laundry and you're folding and you put your hands in your pocket, oh, five dollars. There's no money left in our pockets. There's nothing there. There's nothing extra humanity could ever give to pay the debt. It doesn't matter how small the debt. All that could be given is already owed. Sin lands humanity in an inescapable predicament, even in humanity's best state. Repaying the debt of honor requires something greater than the honor stolen. Simple restitution. That's, that's a, that's a weird word, right? Simply paying it back, not suffice. You know, restitu- paying it back. Okay, we failed to give honor, but I'll start honoring you now, and then we'll make all things square. We can't do that. We can't just give honor back and make things all better because the offense still remains. Giving back what was stolen will never suffice because the offense remains. Giving back what was stolen fails to respect and reflect the harm of the theft itself. We have offended an infinitely holy God. We have offended an infinitely holy God who is worthy of infinite honor. We must therefore give him infinite honor in order to pay back the infinite offense. The only way the offense or the debt can be made right or repaid is through a debt of honor and obedience that is perfect, infinitely perfect. But where are we going to find the resources to make such a payment? That payment is greater than than the whole world put together and every man who ever lived. Greater. If every human who ever lived came together to make this payment, giving the most prized of their possessions, offering the most rare of jewels, the finest of meats, even offering themselves, they would still fall short because they lack infinite value that is only in God. Only God is of infinite value. Because only God is sinless. An offense of infinite proportions was made, therefore an infinite value, a debt of infinite value must be paid. I pray that you feel the weight of that darkness. Because it is into that abysmal condition that God once again says, let there be light. It is into that impossible predicament, that absolute darkness that God once again says, He is the bright and morning star. Let there be light. Into that darkness and void that covered the entire world, a star shined over the town of Bethlehem. There in the city of David, the Blessed Virgin gave birth to a child. It was there that the bright morning star dispelled the darkness and drew wise men from the east to come and adore him. He who was born King of the Jews. He who was born wonderful, counselor, mighty man, mighty God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. God himself became the solution to the debt of man. What is the solution? God is the solution. The only solution to man's impossible dilemma is the God 
man. The hypostatic union. Only by the power of God can human obligation to pay the debt of honor be solved. The answer to man's dilemma is the incarnation of the Son of God. Truly divine. Truly human. Perfectly human nature without fault and yet suffering according to the weakness of humanity, which Pastor Isaiah will talk about this afternoon. Christ is perfectly divine and freely lives and and sacrificially through love dies in order to pay the debt of honor by him giving his own honor to God. And this is once again the goodness of God on display. We talked about creation is God communicating his goodness. But this time, the highest communication of God's goodness is put on display. The incarnation of God becoming man, of of God assuming its true humanity, is the highest unveiling of the goodness of God that there is. God became man. Creation was a communication of God's goodness. But the incarnation and all of the work of Christ is the highest communication of God's goodness to man. It's the highest manner of God saying, I will not keep this goodness to myself. I see men lost in darkness, wandering dead and blind. I will not keep the goodness of life to myself. I will share it with them. God became man. The incarnation is... Part of the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and glory of Christ. It's a part of the work of the God-man. And none of this would be, would be accomplished. And none of it is to be diminished or minimized. But none of it would be accomplished without the incarnation. If you ever want to know how good is God, <clears throat> consider that God became man. If you ever want to question the goodness of God, consider this. God became man. If you ever are trying to explain to an unbeliever why they should turn to Christ and live, point them to the bright morning star who came into the world to enlighten every man, John says. Look to the incarnation. God became man. The goodness of God is revealed in the incarnation. By the union of these two natures into the one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, God would give, here's here's some more goodness, God would give special revelation to man. Because of our futile minds, we we had a wrong view of who God is. But Christ came. God became man to reveal God to man in the most explicit manner. One theologian argues that Christ, in the incarnation, in his teaching, publishes the Trinity. Makes clear that which we used to only see through a glass dimly. He, he wipes away the fog, as it were. In the incarnation, the goodness of God is communicated and that Christ reveals Father, Son, and Spirit and that these three are one. They are, in fact, the essence of hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Christ reveals the love between the persons the one will of God, and the good news of the salvation of God through the God-man, Jesus Christ. God reveals His goodness through revealing Himself and by the declaration that He has come to save us. 
He is the bright morning star that came to enlighten man's darkness and pay a debt that man could never pay. Saints of God, Christ did not come to destroy us. He came to reveal himself to us and to save us. Is that not the highest communication of God's goodness to us, his people? Saints of God, the life and person of the Deus Homo, the God-man, are of infinite value. He is more valuable than even the most repulsive sin. The, the worst sin that you can think of. Christ is more valuable than that sin and will cover it. Amen. You might say, that sin is too much. There's nothing that you can ever do to make that sin okay. Enter the God-man. The Lord Jesus Christ. He can cover even the most heinous of sins. And you might think, oh yes, murder. Uh, oh yes, um, pedophilia. Uh, you, you might think rape. Or you might think of the worst of sins. And they are bad. But here's the worst of all sins. Us not honoring God the way that we should have and the way that we were created to. Amen. All of those things are, are, are a defect or a, a result of our polluted minds. But they begin here with our dishonoring of God, of our failing to give him glory. And Christ comes as the God man, the one of infinite value to come and cover that sin of dishonor by living a life of perfect honor, by giving himself in perfect obedience and by rising to show that we are no longer in our sin, but that he has removed our stain, that he has set us free from that darkness. He is the bright star that shines in the darkness. True happiness. That which God has made us for is now offered through the God man. Through the one who has come in our flesh. God became man so that he might reveal himself. That he might offer love as a gift to pay our debt. And so that he might offer grace to do this. To elevate us to what we were supposed to be. To make us happy. To give us not just life, dear ones, but to give us the abundant life. Life is, in fact, what we lost in sin, isn't it? We lost life. God promised Adam, if you dishonor him, the, 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 the debt of disobedience, the consequence would be death. The wages of sin are, are death. Original sin brings death to all men. We no longer because of sin, knew what it meant to live. But through the incarnation, God became man so that we might know now what it really means to live. To know true, abundant life. I've got a river of life now flowing out of me. Spring up a well within my soul. He has made me whole. God became man, taking on our nature to heal our nature. By his stripes, we are healed. And through the healing of the great physician, we now know great joy, true happiness and abundant life. In closing, the prophet Isaiah, just after the promise of forgiveness and healing by his stripes were healed, Isaiah 55 says, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
and you who have and you who have no money, somebody say amen. Come, buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money. Without cost. It's free. And the question that the prophet has from the Lord is, why do you spend money for bread? Or why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what doesn't satisfy? You're not living. You're working and you're you're laboring to to get what you think is going to make you live. And God is saying to the prophet, but it's not making you live. It's not satisfying you. It won't fill you. But if you have nothing and you were you were desiring, come to him. He's offering it free. Come to him and be satisfied. Don't spend your lives. Don't waste your lives working hard. To buy things that won't satisfy you. They won't give you what you want. What do you want? I just want a good life. I just want to be happy. I was listening to an athlete. um, An undefeated boxing champion. Who has reached the pinnacle of his sport. He has all the titles. He has all the money. He has the family. A bunch of kids. a, A wife that he loves and has been married to for many years. He has his own TV show now. That they, they, they think so much of him that, that now he has his own show. And still he wrestles with depression, with hopelessness, and despair. And in one of those breaks that the, that the TV show has in asking questions, they simply said, you have all of these things and yet you're not, you're not satisfied. What more do you want? And here's his answer. I don't know. He's English. He says, I just want to be happy. I just told you that according to the values of the world, he has it all. He has everything that you and I would stand back and go, if I had that, I'd be okay. But he has that and he's not. You have what he doesn't have. You have been united to Christ. And now you are partakers of the divine life. I say so that we heed the words of our Lord. You can give your life to a certain discipline, becoming the best at your craft, producing great success, and yet it won't satisfy. Isaiah 55, listen carefully to me, the Lord says. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen, here's, here's what he says. Do you want to live? Isaiah 55, 3. You want to live? That you may li- listen to me, God says, so that you may live. You want to know where to find life? You want to know where to find happiness? You want to fi- know where to find true joy and satisfaction? Here's what Jesus says. I have come so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, 10. Uh, Tyson Fury, you want to know how you can be happy? Turn to Christ. I have come so that you will have life and have it more abundantly. You can achieve all the natural goods. You can get the house, the cars, the money, the food, the awards, the accolades, the education, the contracts, the contacts, the fame. Those are all natural goods. You can get those on your own. 
You see those award shows where they go, I want to thank God. <laughs> you could have got that on your own. Yes, he made you. Yes, he made you. But there's something you can't get on your own. You can get natural goods on your own, but you can't get supernatural goods on your own. What's a supernatural good? You can't elevate yourself to know true happiness that is eternal and will never, ever disappear. You need God for that. Actually knowing true happiness to live beatitude, the life that honors God, all of this is accomplished in God sharing his goodness to you, his creatures, in the incarnation. The God-man reveals himself, heals our nature, elevates our nature so that we can finally know what it means to live and to live to honor God. Amen. To give to him now what we failed to give to him in the beginning. Honor. Yes. Yes. Why are you here this morning? It's Christmas Eve. Because you are offering an, a, you are offering honor to God. The debt's already been paid. And now you are walking in step with that debt that has been paid. You are offering honor to God now. And you are doing so not reluctantly or of necessity, but because your heart beats for God. Amen. Thanks be to God for the new heart that he has given to us. Amen. We joyfully, not reluctantly, not begrudgingly now give ourselves to honor God because the debt, of pay, the debt has been paid as a gift of love. The life lived in such a way is now lived purposeful. Now you, now you have a purpose for living. Now your life makes sense. Even when you go to work, you go, why am I doing this? Your life makes sense. You're doing it because you're honoring God. Because eating and drinking, whether word or deed, you are doing it all to the glory and honor of God. That's why you're doing it. It's not meaningless anymore. Now it's purposeful. You go to work and you work with unbelievers because now you're going to be a light to them. The same light that shined on you, you are now shining to them. Now you have a reason to live and you do so with great joy. This life through Christ is why God became one of the reasons why God became an And you know that God did not take on the did not assume a tree. When God became not a tree, not a beastly animal, not a bird, not a fish, he became man, revealing our dignity. Revealing that you are of worth. You are of value. God became man to show us as image bearers that we are dignified people. And that we would no longer live our lives purposeless. But live our lives to honor him. This understanding is no longer dark and saints. And I close with this. From the Apostle Peter. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers, sharers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Saints of God, you now share in the life of God because of the incarnation. Praise be to the, to the Lord God, man, Jesus Christ, the Deus Homo, the one who has assumed our flesh to heal us, to save us, and to bring us up so that we might share in his divine life.
To God be the glory. Let us pray.